Things move fast in the world of mixed martial arts. In the last 25 years, the sport's gone from obscurity to must-watch TV. There's been a lot of changes in the way we watch the fights, the rules, the organizations that have the best fighters. It's an ever-evolving landscape of combat sports entertainment, don't you know? As well as those changes, other big plans have been teased, only for them to quietly evaporate into nothingness like the MMA career of CM Punk. I'm Balian from MMA On Point, and this is 10 huge MMA plans that mysteriously went away. Number 10. MMA in the Olympics Yeah, you remember when this was a thing. For some reason, about 10 years ago, there was a massive push to get MMA into the Olympics. Now, bearing in mind this was before the Fox deal, before the UFC was on national TV, so global exposure and a nod to the sport's legitimacy by including it along with so many others would have been pretty good for the sport. And Dana was all on board. He was campaigning. He even told Ariel Hawani at one point, I think that the reality of mixed martial arts becoming an Olympic sport is getting closer and closer. The main problem at the time, and let's face it, it's a pretty big one, was that MMA didn't have a singular international body that overlooks the sport, which is a requirement for any Olympic sport. Well, we do actually have a governing body, the International Mixed Martial Arts Federation, but in 2018, they applied for membership into WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, and GAISF, the Global Association of International Sports Federation. But they were apparently denied both as MMA is too violent, so there's your answer right there but dana hasn't given up apparently he told the schmo we've been talking about that for 20 years it's it's not on the top of my priority list to 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 get that done someday it will be it should be already not something i'm running around trying to do and actually quite recently habib has been trying to make a push for the olympics as well but the global community push that dana organized well it slowly died a quiet death nearly 10 years ago it's not like mma needs the popularity anymore either and who knows at this point number nine the ufc and thq Undisputedly, the THQ video game franchise of the UFC is considered better than its EA counterpart. The THQ games had a lot more diversity in moves, independent AI sets for fighters, just a better career mode, and a more dynamic grappling system. Fans were pretty happy with Undisputed 3 when it dropped, but unfortunately it was the last in the series and the last game that they would make with the UFC. The studio itself went through some development troubles across the board and basically went bankrupt in 2012, which meant we lost a lot of great franchises. Metro, Company Heroes, Warhammer Dawn of Wars, as well as the WWE game series, and the turning over the license of the UFC games to EA. But the mystery doesn't end here. After the bankruptcy, THQ sued EA and Zufa, stating that the two companies had worked together to bring about the termination of their current contract. They originally signed with the UFC in 2007. By 2011, the financial troubles hit, and in December, they began hunting around for a potential buyer. This is when they started meeting with EA. THQ gave them internal financial information and revenue figures for the UFC franchise, as well as projected expenditures. But by the end of December, though, Zufa had sent them a letter asking them to terminate their contract because of these financial difficulties. This actually led to them filing a lawsuit, believing EA had told the UFC the figures and they wanted out, six years before the contract was scheduled to end. So the THQ contract was quietly terminated and EA started making the UFC games. EA, by the way, not the nicest of companies when it comes to business, certainly the most corporate of any in the video gaming world, and rest in peace the undisputed franchise. Won't stop us from having MMA on point office tournaments, though. Number 8. G4 TV and the UFC. As the UFC Spike deal was coming to a close, it was open season on predictions for where we'd see the UFC next. Fox, Facebook, ESPN. It was also around this time that the UFC revealed they were looking to buy a controlling interest in the once popular G4 TV. Back in the day, it had some fun programming like Attack of the Show, which was pretty much one of the first places you could watch video game content and pro plays, son, as well as new technology and gadgets. In a bizarre twist of fate, the TV channel has actually started up again recently, although now in the form of an internet network. By the time 2011 rolled around, the channel 
channel pretty much was showing old edited movies and reruns of cops, but the UFC purchase interest got so much attention, even the Wall Street Journal was writing about it. Of course, my man John Snowden weighed up the pros and cons for SB Nation. Why not? The UFC's target audience was pretty similar to the majority of people watching G4 TV. I mean, sure, don't put the main events on there, but you could show past fights, pride fights, surely, the ultimate fighter at least, right? Before this, Dana had always talked about how he wanted to buy a TV network, and they were looking to get a 60% ownership in the company. It would have finally given the UFC the freedom to literally do whatever they wanted on their own network, but only a few months later, it was announced that the UFC had reached a seven-year deal with Fox, who of course had a significantly larger reach and also wasn't a dying channel, and well, the rest is history. Number 7. Paul Heyman and Strikeforce Paul Heyman has been involved with the pro wrestling world for the last 30 years, the owner of the ECW and manager for the WCW, as well as a whole host of WWE talent. Oh, and he also got in there himself on occasion. But at one point in time himself and several investors were looking to purchase Strikeforce. He was on Errol Hawani's show in 2010 when he mentioned that he'd recently had a meeting with none other than President Scott Coker. Coker went on to confirm that in an interview with Ariel a few weeks later. Paul and I have been talking about doing a couple of things together. And, um, you know, if it works out, we'll do it. I think it's going to happen. I don't know much about pro wrestling, but I do know that Paul Heyman was often respected for his creative mind and ability to market wrestlers. Certainly something that would have helped Strikeforce and its fighters, and something he did eventually help out with when he did some of the fighter promo packages for the EA MMA game, which included several fighters, Nick Diaz, for example. But as Paul pointed out, you have to be well-financed, need total network support, and he just didn't think he could compete with the UFC, acknowledging that in 2010, the UFC sold more pay-per-view than the entire professional wrestling industry. Could have been a fun way to see some creative WWE-minded marketing, but like many of these plans, it faded away, and then, well, the UFC just bought them anyway, didn't they? Number 6. Strikeforce and Bellator Co-Promotion we pretty much know the UFC are notorious for their lack of cross-promotion. I mean, they basically took the other route entirely, absorbed the other organizations, and then, hey, their fighters are your fighters anyway. But other organizations like Strikeforce were far more open to the concept. In 2009, they partnered with Japanese promotion Dream and M1 Global, and so we got to see Shinya Aoki, Tatsuya Kawajiri, Sergei Karatonov, Mayhem Miller, Musashi, Jacare, and more all fight in Strikeforce. But when Eddie Alvarez came on the MMA Hour, he asked Ariel to talk to Scott Coker about getting his lightweight champion Gilbert Melendez to fight the Bellator lightweight champion himself. Ariel was pretty excited, and Gilbert had apparently been calling him out in every interview, and Eddie felt like he was making him look bad, so he asked Scott. Bjorn says it's okay. I say it's okay. Gilbert's telling the world that he wants to fight me. I assume you're the only one left to agree. Coker seemed enthused, but basically said it would all be a bit too complicated, and that he'd apparently already spoken to Bjorn about the fight, but seeing as Gilbert was injured at the time, they hadn't sorted anything out. But Coker also pointed out that he's always open to cross-promotion, it's just a case of finalizing the details. So both fighters wanted it, but what happens? Well, it depends on who you believe. Eddie said he and Rebney were always on board, but Coker and Gilbert didn't want to make the fight happen. Gilbert had apparently wanted the fight as far back as 2008, when Strikeforce and Pro Elite did a cross-promotion for Shamrock and Baroni. Eddie was fighting at Pro Elite, Gilbert at Strikeforce. But it never came together, until they were both in the UFC in 2015, and they finally fought at 188 in Mexico City, almost seven years in the making. Bellator and Strikeforce respectively at one point were the two other powerhouses in US MMA not named the UFC, and it could have led to some fun matchups in the end, I reckon, but oh well. Number 5. Erica Montoya, the first women's fighter in the UFC We all know that Ronda Rousey and Liz Carmouche was officially the first women's fight in the UFC. 
Before that, there had been attempts to create some interest in women's combat sports. They even did the Daughter of Ali versus the Daughter of Frasier and marketed it as Ali versus Frasier 4, but it sold terribly and it left a lot of doubt in people's minds. But what if I told you as far back as 2005 at UFC 51, there were plans to have women's MMA pioneer and Japanese legend Erika Montoya compete in the UFC. It helped that originally 51 was supposed to take place in Japan, where Erika had been making a name for herself in the regional scene at promotions like Shudo and even Hook and Shoot. She'd become so popular, she was even included on the roster of UFC Sudden Impact in 2004. There just wasn't anyone for her to fight, unfortunately, so Tim Sylvia it is, I guess. Still, she was enough of an icon and a decent enough fighter that the UFC were prepared to take the plunge and organize the first women's fight in history. She confirmed in an interview with MMA Weekly in 2003 that she talked to Dana about it personally. Dana talked to me about what I'd be interested in fighting. Uh, you know, it is being talked about, and I think it will happen soon. But the show in Japan was eventually cancelled. It seems the UFC felt like they needed the Japanese audience to get behind it and buy the tickets and weren't so confident about her marketability in the United States. So unfortunately, Erica never made it to the big show and we had to wait another eight years. Oh, and be reminded halfway through from Dana that women would never be in the UFC. Never. Number four, the Zufa version of Pride. When Pride was picked up by Zufa, MMA fans exploded with excitement. Yay, finally the two biggest promotions in the world coming together, merging rosters and having the best finally fight the best. Only problem was we all loved Pride, loved the scoring, the setting, the atmosphere, the Grand Prix tournaments, the rules, just there was a lot that we were going to miss if it disappeared forever. Well, fear not. Dana told us all that Pride never dies and they would continue to run shows in Japan and keep the organization going. Dana also has gone on record to say that Pride was the only other organization that he respected and their ability to do sellout shows. And to be fair to them, they tried. Lorenzo famously said he wanted it to be like the AFL merging with the NFL. Dana told reporters, UFC fighters will be UFC fighters, Pride stays as pride but they ran into wall after wall in the japanese market where no one seemed to want to give them a tv deal which is kind of an issue did this have something to do with the yakuza maybe most of the fighters turned out to not actually be on contract which i'm sure also caused a ton of issues as they had essentially paid 65 million for a video library and i'm sure they did get a few fighters as well and it didn't stop them from planning several events heck they even made posters with a time and date and everything but despite everyone wanting it as dana put it japan didn't want us there. At least that's the side of the story Dana and Zufa gave us. It's probably sensible to consider that they may have just wanted to fold the Pride roster into the UFCs as well. In October 2007, they closed the Pride Worldwide office in Japan, and that was that. No more Zufa Pride. At least they had tried. To be fair, they said the exact same thing when they bought out Strike Force years later, and that they would continue to run the promotion alongside the UFC, but once again, well, they're a monopsony now, aren't they? And, well, just because the UFC wanted to work with Pride, it doesn't mean they did. Heck, the team they left in Japan to run the UFC office helped start up dreams, so I think they wanted to move on as well. Number three, someone to replace Goldberg. I can't believe there are actually fans that are going to be watching this video and never had the pleasure of the commentary of Mike Goldberg. Yeah, sure, he made plenty of mistakes. Let's face it, he didn't really know that much about MMA, but his voice, ah, it certainly captured the tone and feel of the UFC in the early days. But yeah, time moves on, so does the sport, especially once they hit mainstream and entered into contracts with big companies like ESPN, where, well, having someone that can provide more analysis than it's not easy being a rock star is generally a bit more helpful. But once Goldie was let go, the UFC told us they were out on the lookout for a permanent replacement, someone with as much name value or pizzazz that would partner across from Rogan and create a new dream team. The only thing is, well, that never really happened. It was at the 207 pre-fight scrum where these conversations started in Dana teased his new plans for the booth. Do you know who's going to replace him? I do. 
<laughs> there were rumors flying around as to who this new guy would be. Jim Rome was teased, the CBS Sports Radio broadcaster. Dana seemed to specifically want to get him on board, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. We, of course, got Jimmy Smith into the UFC. He was a very credentialed commentator, as well as a former fighter, but he took up a collar commentary role, which is these days filled by an ex-fighter, which is actually the reason they let him go just after a short time with a promotion. We were supposed to get an answer, as Dana said, by July 2017, but we didn't, and, well, no one ever came along. Anik took over the role as head play-by-play commentator, but he was already working for the promotion, so the new peanut butter to Rogan's jelly was never found, and nothing really changed, probably for the best, as Anik may be the best play-by-play guy we've ever had. Number two, the MMAAA. It's only the start of the year, and we've basically spent the whole of 2022 talking about fighter pay. That and the scoring, and I'm betting if you're watching this in 2025, well, I doubt much has changed. The words union, union, union keep getting thrown around, but as far back as 2016, several fighters got together and actually formed a union, the MMA Athletes Association, or the MMAAA. Now, at this point, there was already the PFA, the Professional Fighters Association, which was also campaigning for a collective union, and the MMAFA, the MMA Fighters Association, which was trying to bring the Alley Act. But the MMAAA was a pretty big deal. They had Cowboy, Tim Kennedy, Kane Velasquez, TJ Dillashaw, and even George St. Pierre at the announcement and as members and spokespeople for the union. So what happened exactly? Well, first of all, they had ex-Bellator president Bjorn Rebney involved, who had just spent two years in silence after being ousted from the promotion, and as a promoter, his relationship and dealing with fighters in the past hadn't exactly given him a great track record of doing what's best for the athletes. You know, like a union should, so his public presence in the organization immediately raised red flags. Their goals were earning a settlement from the UFC for current and past fighters, changing the reported 8% pay disparity up to 50%, which has at least increased for now somewhat, and to negotiate a collective bargaining agreement with the UFC. Yeah, these are still issues, and just one year after the announcement, the MMAAA was nowhere to be seen. GSP returned to the UFC for a title fight, TJ got a spot on Tough and a title shot, Cowboy apparently, at least according to rumors, had a chat with Dana and got his head turned around. George seems to be the only one still pursuing this, even though he did go back to the UFC and fight again for another title. He's involved with this new MMA league that Ariel Hawani reported on that's supposed to be launching in 2023, the World Fighting League. It has a 50 50% revenue split, guaranteed contracts, health insurance, and even a pension plan. It's also supposedly non-profit. Sounds a little too good to be true, but fingers crossed, I guess. Number one, Zufa Boxing. If you didn't know before Dana became the UFC president, he was very much into his boxing, apparently even competing in some amateur fights before he turned to management and eventually promotion. So with that being his first love, it wasn't too much of a surprise when he started telling media about Zufa Boxing, his own promotion he wanted to kickstart, get off the ground and take over the world of boxing. It was all quite exciting, actually, especially after the Apex was constructed and they started doing in-house shows. The media pointed out it would be the ideal place to start his boxing promotion. I mean, as far back as 2017 on the main Mac World Tour, no less, he was wearing a shirt that said Zufa Boxing. But at least according to him, the whole industry was pretty much a shit show. On the Teddy Atlas podcast, he explained that with the UFC, he wanted to build MMA into the biggest sport in the world. But with boxing, they treat every fight like it's a going out of business sale. And they're just asking how much money they can steal from everyone. Sure, but I mean, if that's your attitude, isn't that all combat sports? Still, Zufa Boxing planned to change all of that, but well, it kind of just disappeared. In 2020, when the subject was brought up again, Dana explained that he'd been kicking the tires for years, but it was going to require so much time money and as he said an entire restructuring of the sport that he just no longer thought it was possible there were rumors that emerged that he was involved with organizing a fight between clarissa shields and amanda serrano but anytime he was asked he denied it yeah but you remember when he said the ufc wasn't for sale Uh uh-huh 
Either way, when Logan Paul vs. Floyd was announced, he pretty much summed it up saying, when people ask me what's the state of boxing right now, that's where it's at. A big shout out to Luke Taylor for editing this video. You can find him and some of his amazing artwork on Twitter at cool2me underscore. Shout out to Ben Rosette and the excellent music he provided during the intro video. His music can be found on streaming platforms everywhere. There is a link in the description and follow him at Ben Rosette on Instagram and on Twitter. Thank you very much for watching everyone today. Please go ahead and like and subscribe if you did enjoy the content. We upload at least three videos every week for your viewing pleasure. Go ahead and leave a comment below if you want to join in the discussion and follow us on Twitter at MMA on Point and myself at Balian underscore plays. You can now jump in and join the community discord as well if you want to continue the discussion further. And I hope you've enjoyed yourselves. I'll see you in the next one.